Welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. episode, I speak with Leah Betts, multi-brand entrepreneur and co-founder of Keisha, one of Australia's leading sleepwear and leisure brands. So Leah is an absolute innovation powerhouse. She's created six companies in her 20-year career. And in this episode, she shares the brutal and at times hilarious truth of what it takes to bring ideas to life and grow a brand from scratch, or in some cases, bring one back from the brink. She also shares about the people who have influenced her and driven her, including her really successful mum, who's been a major influence and partner in many of Leah's endeavours. So if you are someone out there who's doing enterprise innovation or you're starting or growing your own thing, this one is stacked with lessons and I highly recommend it for you. We also had a lot of fun recording this, so hope you enjoy. Welcome Leah Betts to the Naked Ambition podcast. This is such an exciting moment and, you know, of course we've known each other for a number of years now. So what a special thing to be able to do, to be able to have you on the show to tell your amazing story of innovation. Welcome, Leah. Thanks for having me. Very excited (laughs) to be here. So one of the first questions that we love to ask is if you could be a show on Netflix, uh, what would you be? Well, it'd have to be Billions and I'd be Axe all the way. And I love that you actually put me onto the show and I love his story. I love his drive and I love that he's got a Wendy that, you know, to talk him down and talk him through things. I love that he's got his team around him because if you know me well, I need people. I need to talk things through. I need to digest things. And I think you're only really as good as your team anyway. So, and I just love it. Love, love every bit about the show. Absolutely. (laughs) The best. If anyone hasn't listened to that out there, we highly recommend it. it is highly best. recommend. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, so good. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So this this is uh, one of the episodes that we're doing about great Aussie innovation stories. And Keisha truly is a great Aussie innovation story. But of course, there are other brands behind Keisha. Can you tell us a little bit about how, let's start with Keisha, how it came about, what is the story, the origin story of the business? So, well, Keisha began just over a simple idea. I had another business that wasn't actually working very well. That was first when Instagram first launched. It was, you know, you're reaching out to Instagram influencers and things and they did a post and you'd get sales and things. So, I had a brand called Studio Party Shop and we sold individual costumes. And I got Sophie to post for me. And out of about the 20 people that I use of the influencers, she sold. The rest of them didn't sell. So I met her for a coffee and I just wanted to ask her originally, like, how did you get into the Instagram? What do you do? What's the secrets? Come on. There must be some recipe that I can follow. And then at the end of the conversation, I said to her, you know, if you ever have an idea, you know, run it past me and maybe we could do something together. And then she said, oh, actually, you know what? I really want to make a hat. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, she said, I could never get one for Bobby. So then we just 
kept in conversation and then I was like, okay, what happens if you made the hat out of the material that triangle bikini is made of? That's going to be a winner. It's going to be huge. Oh, my God, I can see the dollars now. Anyway, it was a flop. Uh, <laughs> and then we um, tried a rash fest and then we went on this innovation journey of working out who was our customer, what did they need, what could we provide, and obviously Naked Ambition took us through those steps. And now Acacia is really, really, really successful and we have a customer return rate of about 83% at the moment and um, we've got a real cult following, but we have been on a long journey to get there. Oh, so good. Bit of a snapshot. Let's go into it a bit more. This is, it's, because that's, you've talked there about some of those early days where yes. you put something out there, you're actually using those, you didn't know, work. yeah, it didn't work. So how do you, tell us how you bounce back from that. What do you do? Well, I think it was learning who Sophie's crowd was because, say, for example, when she, I've got another brand called Tanoff, and when she posted for that, it sold 2,500 units in 24 hours. But then we posted this hat and we sold, like, say, 100. And it's like, okay, what is going on? Who are her people? And we worked out pretty soon that although they were mums, they were people who wanted to spend money on themselves. There was something that no matter what, that they wanted to be comfortable in pyjamas. And my background is in pyjamas. My mum has made pyjamas for Target for 26 years. So when we were like, oh, okay, and because she had lots of blogs on being a um, yummy mummy, she had breastfeeding. So then we, we went down the journey of what do they need. So we came up with the pyjama with the buttons for breastfeeding. So that was originally our target of, you know, we're going to just target mums and target that but then obviously we had a ripple effect from it that everyone needs to wear pajamas so whether you're a mum who's just breastfeeding or you've had a baby you've never had a baby single you know or it might be your mother or your sister so it ended up ticking lots and lots of boxes but in saying that we also launched a leopard print pajama that sold and then we launched different pajamas and they didn't sell so we kind of went through this testing of like what was our flop what worked what was our kapow moment and can we see a trend and there's things that flopped when we first launched, but now they sell out in minutes. So I think our demographic has grown and our customer base has grown so much that we have so many different people from different works of life that so a plain pyjama might suit someone, but someone crazy might want to wear a leopard print. But also I think what the thing with pyjamas is people are sometimes a little bit more crazy at home and will wear brighter colours and do crazier things at home, even though they might wear something really basic. And so even with our journey as well is we've worked out that our leisure wear has no branding on it and then we've just tried launching something with branding on it and it didn't work. So obviously our customers like the leisure wear to be not branded but the pyjamas, if we do a pyjama without acacia on it, it doesn't sell. And it's like, oh, wow. So we've had to learn all these things about the branding of who is the acacia customer, what do they want. You know, when they're posting themselves on Instagram, they've got their acacia showing but when they're walking down the street dropping their kids at school, they don't want to be wearing it. So that's been a really, really interesting journey, trying to work out who they are, what they want, what do they want to see, what colours, what trends, and we're finally slowly starting to see a pattern. Yeah. But that's three years in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stay on that as well. How does trying to anticipate what people may need based on because there's a lot of data points that you've talked about in there as well yes. you know that you've yes. got to be tracking and presumably you know as the founder and you're also lead designer you are yes. the person that you know needs to be watching this so talk to yes. us about how you know those wins or the flops as you're calling them influence the design decisions that you make 
and yes. what your design process looks like. I'm really curious about that too. Well, also I analyse every Monday, I analyse the week's data and every sale, I actually have my phone and I don't have it because someone's picking up my Uber Eats. <laughs> but I have my phone and I screenshot how many people are online and like then see what the momentum is, how quickly they're buying. And then because of the way Shopify works, I can actually dive into that, like, you know, who are they, where they're coming from. I can actually see live on my screen where they're coming from in Australia or internationally. And it's actually a brilliant thing to be able to watch live. So I I analyze what first of all, well, first of all, we do a post and we see, okay, who, how many comments? So if there's 200 comments, we know something. If it's 700 comments, we know, okay, this is the winner. We also then obviously have the staff here of like, what are people like? And we've got, you know, my mum who's 68 years old. I don't know if she wants me to tell everyone that. Um, we've got Violetta who's in her 40s, Alina who's in her 20s. And so we've got lots of different age groups and we say, okay, does your mum wear this? Um, would your sister wear with this? Would you wear this? And we want to try and get as many yeses as, as we can before we place the order. Mm. So, and then from that information, we've got the order placed and then we post on Instagram, we see what happens. And then I said, on the night live, we can just see how many people. But then we also can analyse every time a post is done, how many people are driving to the website, how many views per day. And so it's a lot of analysing. But the biggest um, test is did it sell? And how quick did it sell? And then also, we've now also got trends over sizes. So certain styles will sell smaller styles, so it's smaller sizes, and other styles will sell better in the bigger sizes. And every time we've, we're now doing up to size 20 and from size 6, but people want us to go to, you know, 24. And, you know, so that's making it bigger. And obviously, because we have all those sizes, we have so many more people we can cater for. Mm. you know and because they're very block shapes whereas outerwear is a lot harder to do cater for all those sizes but because they're block shapes you know the actual spec um, scaling is nowhere near as um, complicated as other styles so we're able to offer that mm. you know and we also you know the factories that we work with my mum's worked with them for 26 years so they you know we can have the good conversations with you saying we're doing the volume can we do this can we do a bigger size you know, and whereas a lot of other factories and things would charge them a fortune for doing those bigger sizes. So we've yeah. been really lucky there as well. Mm-hmm. But mostly, yeah, it's analysing the data, analysing what people say, analysing the reviews and, you know, and seeing how much traffic comes to your website. And then what about when you're coming up with a new design or a new style? How do you get inspired? What does that all look like? I've seen snippets of it on Instagram. I've witnessed a bit of it around your office. But that's something I reckon people would be really curious about. Tell us about how that Well, it pretty much is just constantly sending myself emails. So if I see something, I might even, somebody might be walking past in the street or something on the TV or as, you know, we all know, scrolling through your phone and it's just screenshotting, screenshotting, emailing it, it goes into a folder. And then we do the design process four times a year. So we place four times a year. So at the moment we've placed now until Mother's Day. We're going to place Mother's Day this afternoon. And so it's literally just... Pajamas aren't like when I designed my fashion label, you're really going on trends. Pajamas aren't so much on trends. It's more actually seeing what has worked for us, what styles. And then obviously, you know, if a color is in at the time, you know to use it. But I also then just go on your shop bop, your Netta Porter, your Peter Alexander, any competitor things, see what everyone's doing, you know, your ASOS or whoever it may be, just screenshot, screenshot. Then we put it together on all the boards. Mm-hmm. Then we get in here together, we have a look and then say, oh, I like that, I don't like that. We narrow it down 
it then goes to the graphic artist who will then play with it, come back and go, oh, it doesn't work on that style. It needs a different colour rib. It needs a trim here. It needs that. And then it just keeps on going to the point where I'll quickly just grab you some things. Mm. Sorry, I just thought I might as well show you. Love it. Yep. So that it ends up looking, I don't know if you can see. Yeah, we can. That's awesome. Yeah. And same thing, like, you know, clouds never go astray. So it gets put on a board Mm. like that. And then you've got your art. It gets sent to Lab Dip. And so then it goes on one of my boards over here and per month. And then you go, okay, what's going to work here? What does it look like? Oh my God, we've got, say, if we know for Valentine's Day, we've got way too much pink at the moment. We've got way too much blue for Mother's Day. And so it's just juggling around. And really, we just wing it. And mm-hmm. so then some styles we might go, oh my God, I love this. I love it. I love it. And um, then it's a flop. <laughs> so sometimes the ones we hate the most sell the best. Yes. But that's always been the way too. So, mm. I mean, I'm very, very basic and black. And like we did an LB Jama earlier on and it sold terribly. And my daughter's like, Mum, why? I have no idea. I think it's the classiest thing we've done. So, um, but as I said, I think people like to be bold in the bedroom. So, mm. being bold allows them to be free, allows them to be colourful. And yeah, so it's yeah, working. So, so, what you've talked about there as well is that technique of, they call it, it's such a gross phrase, but they call it in technology eating your own dog food. Which is where you where you use your own product, or the team actually use the yes. product to try the product, and it's really interesting yeah. that that's what you're doing. It's like you know this sort of sense checking and you know leaning on the people that you've got because you are your demographic. That's a big part of and it. And absolutely, and the same thing that the girls will you know a new style they'll have to wear them home, take them yeah. home. But where you know do you get a wedgie? You know, <laughs> like is your bum hanging out? Like you know, can you see your nipples? Like whatever yeah. it may be, what is the feedback of that? And yeah. same thing, like we've done a few like white tops, and we realise white tops don't sell. No one wants to wear a white top when you sleep. You know, there's little things that you pick up and. But there's some that don't work and you go, I have no idea why. Mm, yeah. No idea why. But, I mean, that's the fun of it too. And yeah. But we've also got, for the things that go on sale, there's also a certain crowd that follow you to buy the sale items. Mm. So, you know, there's just, yeah. it's managing the risk of what you're going to place yeah. in the early days mm. to now the, know that worst case scenario, if you had to mark it off 50%, you're going to be able to get rid of the stock. Yeah. But then you've got the highs that, you know, we have been very lucky this year that we've only had a few styles go on sale. Like mm-hmm. the demand, obviously, due to COVID, the yeah. pyjama sales, uh, you know, everyone was in their pyjamas the whole time. Yeah. So we've had um, very little stuff go on sale. But to begin with, like the first two years, we had a lot of stuff go on sale mm-hmm. because we didn't get it right. Talk to us about that, about this year, because it's obviously been an enormous year <laughs> for everyone. But what about we can say now that it's nearly December (laughs) 2020 that this year was great for somebody in the pyjama business or in leisure wear or these sorts of things, but that we didn't know that that was going to be the case. You know, when no No. one could predict what was going on when this started, I remember us even having conversations when the shit hit the fan in February and March and it was just this like, oh, my God, what is this going to mean? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about those days, like that sort of 30 days around March and what was going on, you know, in your life and with the business and how did you handle it? Well, I had someone say to me in the street yesterday, 2020 has been a year of highs and lows, either a winner or a loser kind of thing. So for me, I'm really grateful to say cry. I'm a winner because I had a little girl in January and 
which was really exciting. And then I had my daughter start a new school and I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden I heard this COVID and I was like, oh, mate, I cannot take on anything else this year. And then at eight weeks I was back at work and Annabelle was homeschooling and I was pretty happy to go to work because <laughs> homeschooling was much harder. I mm. fail year three maths, just so you know. And so, but we didn't know what it was like. Mm. And obviously we had our orders placed. So it was like, first of all, are we going to get our orders from China? You know, what does that look like if we don't have any orders? What does it mean if we can't come into the office? So first of all, we had we had people work from home. Mm. We only had limited staff here. We had kind of, you know, the crisis meeting that, number one, as long as everyone's health okay, business will survive, you know. We just, we're an online business. It's not as though we have rent for um, shop fronts and things, so we've got a bonus there. We've got a loyal following. And... I don't think we really understood the effect it would have on our site. So I'm talking that we you would usually have around 12,000 people a week on our site mm-hmm. and it was going up to 80,000 people. So it was just a jump. So then we actually had so much backlash because we were selling out in minutes, which I mean it has been our thing because, you know, we ordered originally 1,000 units to then 3,000 to 5,000. But so we people were getting so angry that we were selling out saying, thinking that we we're lying about it all. But we just couldn't keep up with the demand. So then we also didn't have the manpower or the resources in China to place all these new styles that quickly. So what we did was repeat styles that we'd done the year before because all our lab bits were done. The initial samples are approved. All we need to do is get bulk fabric because the T&T parcels were taking a lot longer to get here. So we already had that delay. So then we had to go on to improving things online, which, of course, is nerve-wracking. You know, as soon as we got something, we'd do the wash test straight away. And um, But even doing some things, because as I said, we've worked with the factory so long, going, okay, just promise me it's not going to shrink. Promise me the colour's not going to run. And then doing our bulk testing with samples, even though the stuff's on a ship. So that was all really nerve-wracking. But, yeah, so we placed a lot of our styles repeat and then people like you know we don't have anything new and it's like my goodness gracious people can you just hold on a minute we're trying our best so and then those next quantities we place they were selling out and they were selling out quick so and in saying that we had this return rate of people that had bought from us and trusted us so they were coming back and they were going 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 but then we had these new people because we're having this growth as well and so then our loyal customers who usually bought from us were missing out because new people were getting it and it ended up being this whole, you know, bit of a disaster. But what a bloody good disaster to be in because, and that's what I keep on saying to the staff, I'm like, we have a job. We're still here. We're still standing. People love it. People are coming to us. We need to be the people uplifting the people that don't have a job. So, you know, the people who do get a pair of our pyjamas and then comfy, well, then we have done a good job and we've got to focus on that because the person who missed out will just make some more and hopefully they get it next time. And so we did a lot of, you know, when people had missed out, say, you know, sign up for the next one, have early access, you know. We also had problems with our site, with our site overselling. So then we'd oversell 200 units and have to, like, write every person an email saying, I'm really sorry. And some people would be like, I don't want to kill you. And other people were really nice. But, you know, you love the passion because they wanted the pyjamas. I mean, that's a really wonderful thing too. So... So then we, yeah, so we placed all these big quantities and they all sold. And then we've had a bit of a decrease online. So now, not being upset with it, but we've got like 40,000 people online. People are now spending money on Christmas parties, on Christmas presents, on the mm. kids going back to sport and yeah. school uniforms and things. So we've seen that this, and then, so now what we're trying to do is have it level out now. Yeah. And we've ordered more quantities. So then, but we're now we've become a site where we've got stock on every day and people can come each day 
and know that there's something there for them. So then people are happy with that too. Mm-hmm. And we're not having this crazy demand of sellout in minutes and people miss out. So that's now changing for us. And that's also really interesting because the warehouse that we have was perfect when we sold one style and came in, they packed it and it went. And now we've got, we've only got a small warehouse, we've overgrown and we've got styles everywhere. So for them to pack it every single day, like the one person might order four different styles. They're going around and it's taking us longer to pack. So then people are like, oh, we're not getting our stuff so quick. And Australia Post are taking longer at the moment too. So no matter what, there's always challenges. But mm-hmm. as I said, as long as we've got someone there who wants to buy it, well, that's brilliant. And we also had um, the problem we couldn't do photo shoots. Mm. So then we started sending out products to people in their houses. And then I think our actual our customers loved that because we've now just gone back to a photo shoot and the reaction of people just standing with a wall and things hasn't been the same as somebody being at home and actually being really natural. And so that's really interesting too. I find that all of it so interesting analyze of what's you know the mass like and don't like or you know when the there's like a fan page of people who get really upset with us if we do something or you know the passion is just you know brilliant really (laughs) yeah passion for their pjs yeah but and the brand i mean that's a great part of the story tell us a bit more about that because i think for any anyone who's just curious about that entrepreneurial journey and the how you had to really think on your feet when there was no, you know, we're not going to be able to do our photo shoots and these sorts of things. It sounds like a small thing, but it's a massive thing, isn't it? Because that's your, the cornerstone of your marketing strategy is that sort of pre-launch, the teaser photos, these kinds of things. Yes, absolutely. When you say you've sent photos to people, who did you, uh, sorry, you sent PJs to people, who'd you send PJs to, to make this work? So Alina, who works for us, who's brilliant, we're like, oh my goodness, we can't do photo shoots. What are we going to do? Because originally we went to the same place every time, took three or four styles with some models with a great background, shot them. You know, we had Monica Berry, our photographer, take the photos and it was a recipe. It worked. That's all we did. And then Alina would say to me, oh, we've got to do all these amazing photo shoots. I'm like, no, we don't. This is all, this is working fine. I was like, oh, my goodness, we can't even, like, drive to do a photo shoot. You know, um, Monica can't come down from Geelong to do it. So Alina just looked up for um, key influences or um, I don't know exactly what she looked up, but I can find out. For people who, so we just gave them a small payment and a pair of Mm pyjamas and they did it from home. A A lot of these girls had been in our photo shoots previously. Yeah. And so they got a collection of pyjamas and they took them from home and then Alina would put it together. And, of course, obviously Sophie, she would take the photos home as well. And that became that became our new recipe. And mm. as I said, we've kind of gone back to an old one and I don't think we can go back. I think it's got to keep on going this way, So, which is really, really, really interesting. I mean, you know, we've had people holding their dogs in their bathroom, having coffee, <laughs> yeah. um, just, you know, just real-life stuff. Yeah. And I guess when you do a photo shoot of someone, you know, I'm having a drink it looks so candid. Whereas, mm. you know, someone at home in their own in their own space, feeling comfortable and being able to delete their own photo if they didn't like it, they've been mm. able to create content that they were happy with, yes. that they felt good in their pajamas. So, and I think it reflected through the photos. So that's where we're at now. Mm. That's one of those great things that's going to stay, I guess. Those changes that you yes. make. So the question here is: Tell us about pre K shop. Because even though this looks like an overnight success story, yes, yes. you know, there's a lot of Leah Betts that came before Keisha and there's a lot of, you know, other brands and people that have gone into that story as well. So can we take a step yes. back and can you tell us a bit more about your career story? Okay. So first of all, my mum has a company called Studio Kids and I have worked at Studio Kids since I was a little girl. So it's been around, I think now, 
for 26 years, but my mum's always been in the rag trade. So I grew up playing hide and seek in like the fabric rooms and um, I had so much fun and I used to be able to sit in the design room and a pattern room and I knew from so young that's what I wanted to do. That to me looked really glamorous. And even though it's not a glamorous world at all, but when I was young it looked like that. And then I, like when mum started her own business, I think I was, I don't know, so I was 13, but I used to hand write like one of a hundred boxes because mum started out with pajamas for Target and hand write them, you know, where was it going to the store and things. And I look at it now, like, you know, the printers and things that just, you know, print this stuff out so easily. And I saw like we used to have all the different licenses and one of the designers used to be drawing a Tweety with like a pen, you know, those fabulous pens. And, you know, it was just so real back then. Mm-hmm. And for someone who always, you know, I was I just loved dressing up. I just loved that part of life. So I knew then that's what I wanted to do. And obviously I went to school. Then I left school and I went to fashion school. Mm-hmm. I went to RMIT first and then dropped out. And then I went to the Melbourne School of Fashion whilst working for mum. And then I took on like the sleepwear, sorry, an underwear account, then a sleepwear account. And I got to go do the overseas buying trips and things. And I just learned so much, but I had to learn from the bottom. Like my first day I got asked to clean um, someone's office and I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be a little bit more fancy than this, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so I did that, learned a lot. And then in about 2005, so that's five years after school, mum said, do you want to start your own fashion brand? And I said, yeah, but don't call it my name because I don't, if it's a flop, I don't want anyone to know. <laughs> anyway, so we called it Hale, which is Leah Backwards, and that was really my first part of passion. So I got to travel overseas, buy samples, meet Joe, my import manager in Hong Kong, and then go into China to Ningbo and place the um, orders. Violetta, who's still with us as well, um, you know, would be sewing on buttons the night before photo shoots and things. And it was, I just thought I was living the dream back then. And so we got into 200 stores. And then we went online and I went gangbusters, but then I had some problems with my back and having a baby. So I let that brand go because I knew I had to work so much more in studio kits. So that was, you know, that bit of learning curve. I also started another company called Tan Off, which is a tan removal mitt, which everyone's like, that's so weird, so random. But um, if anyone knows me, I'm totally addicted to fake tan. And so that's now sold in Chemist Warehouse. And that's still been always a little bit of a passion project. You know, my heart's really there and I love that brand because I guess with the innovation is that I saw a gap in the market with my um, business partner and I went to China and wrote like numbers 1 to 20 all over my body and worked out which fabrication worked and I know that I literally invented something with somebody else and now there's like you know 10 other people have copied it and everyone's like why aren't you annoyed I'm like no because if you look like you know at a pond's like face wipe somebody invented that and they all copied, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't exactly made me any money. Um, but it's something that it's like, Oh, I reckon that's pretty cool. You know, mm. that's a cool story. So, and then when, after I had my little girl and I saw there was a gap in the childcare market. So I, uh, we started a childcare business, which is products for childcare, which is um, bibs, face washes, costumes and things. And that again is another brand, which I'm really proud of, which is stocked mm-hmm. all around Australia and now internationally. Then we have another brand, Fairy Magic, which is what we actually sell through Target and do all the frozen dresses and things. That's mum's company. And we then launched that with Sophie to a side part of it. And I think this is actually interesting for your customers, though. That hasn't worked very well. 
Mm. And it's funny about when I said to you earlier how the hats didn't work and the rush vests didn't work, mm. um, and we realised that the people wanted to spend money on themselves. The mm. women wanted to spend money on themselves and men too. And when we launched the fairy dresses, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be a winner. It's going to be great. You know, if we sell this many free targets, we're just tweaking them, it's going to work. And it didn't work. doesn't mean it doesn't work at all. It still sells. But it wasn't her market. So mm. I think, you know, anyone out there who is thinking of starting something, you really need to do that research and do that time and do the testing of what people, doesn't matter how good the product is, if you haven't got a market or a way to get it to people to see it, it's never going to sell. You know, and at the moment I've got some other projects in line and I've, you know, one's taken a year and a half. It's going to be two years by the time it launches. But because I've tested everything, I've asked people, you know, I just, I've had to tweak it and go, I'm not going to put it to market unless I know that there's going to be that demand. And mm. I think that prep work is just so, so important. It's yeah. product to market fit there that you're talking about as well and getting that so right, which it sounds so much easier than it is. Yes. Yes, yes. But it's, you know, like what I think is always so great about, you know, and the thread that runs through all of your stories is just this, you know, a spirit of experimentation yes. that you've yes. always had about how do I test. And I think, I don't even think you did that justice there with the Tanoff story. Just the <laughs> Tanoff, where what, when you said I wrote the numbers, go into more yes. detail there to really paint people a picture because they're like, what do you mean you wrote numbers one to oh, okay. Like, okay. You literally so covered I, your, your body. I, so I'm covered in fake tan. Completely. Yeah. And in China, they don't tan. So they think, so Joe has taken me over there, I said my import manager, and I'm like, you know, I want to be able to take off this fake tan. They're like, we don't wear fake tan. Like, we don't get it. This crazy woman. And I'm like, I am crazy. And so I had, yeah, so much tan on. And every night I'd go back and I'd say, you know, because it's a crepe fabric that's had a treatment to it. So the particles, as you rub your skin, they pick up the tan. Genius, really. And so I'd have like a, a harsher and, you know, but I didn't want to skin to get red and all this stuff. So I'd go back every night to the hotel room and I literally write, so the, pe- the piece of fabric would have a number on it and so would um, my skin to match it. And I would test, you know, and test what was working, what was going to blend, what wasn't going to blend, what was going to remove it and things. And I'd go back the next day and say, this is working, this is not working. To the point where I actually took this product to market when it wasn't ready so I went to flew to Sydney, missed the flight because I bought mascara. Flew to Sydney, had meetings with every like of the all of the magazines and things, and I didn't actually have the orange and black mitt at the time. I had a pink mitt, so I took oh my god, so embarrassing! But I took a bucket of water, a red bucket, put it down the table with these people who would have like East Saint Laurent and you know Chanel mascara coming to them. And here's Leah Betts with a red little bucket and a pink mitt with like a little photo shoot on my computer showing them how. Um, you know, what it was going to look like. We'd done a photo shoot in someone's bathroom. And then I'd get my leg up there and I'd start rubbing and showing them how this product would take off the fake tan. Oh, so embarrassing. But anyway, most of them put it in their magazine. But I, was, I wasn't I was ready. So I think there's so many things. Some many people say, you know, you've just got to get it out there. But you've also got to get it out there right. And I think what I've learned is because I have these other things backing me up and I've got other things going on, say for the new one that I'm doing, I've got time to perfect it. I've got time to make sure, you know, the care label looks good or the website looks good because you've also only got one shot of some people coming to you, you know, your website and, you know, or having that flick on Instagram that they're going to click through. If they get on and you don't have all the stuff that they need or it doesn't look right, you've lost them. Mm -hmm. And somebody, you know, even it might take them two years until it becomes a brand for that person to trust you then to come back. So I think there's part of your marketing needs to be right, your product needs to be right, 
you know, your customer journey needs to be right, every widget, everything needs to be working to have it really be successful. It doesn't mean you can't start with one product and improve it. I just think that you need to have the overall thing looking pretty crisp to actually make it work. Mm. That's really good. Good to dive into as well because it's that balance between... You know, waiting too long. Yeah, and you know that that because there'd be people sort of going, oh, do you know, because there's do, do things need to be perfect before you get them out there. And what you're talking about there, I believe, is a more evolved brand. Yeah, you know, to to be able to hit the level of sales, you know, and brand recognition that you are at at the moment. Yeah. But for those, you know, where the Tanoff story is so great is, yes, you yes. know, it's, it's you're getting out, you guys yeah. showed them an MVP, you know, the minimum viable product is what you showed yes. people there, which then propelled you on to, you know, get enough I validation going. I think there's two parts of it too, because yeah. there's also the risk. If you are risking, as I always say, people, your house or your kids' school fees mm. to get it out there, well, I don't think go the whole way. You know, test your market, make 100 units and see if it's going to sell, see if anyone's going to like it and then perfect your packaging, then spend $5,000 on your website and things. Do that. So there's that part too. It depends on where you are and what you can afford. Because I already have the platform here, I can now take bigger risks, you know, but don't get me wrong, the things that I'm going forward with, I'm ordering bigger quantities because I believe I can back myself because I have this recipe of what works, what doesn't work. I've got websites that you know, they automatically, I know what, I know all the little process things that need to be there. But in saying that, there's been, when I did Studio Play, I launched with the costumes, which were brilliant because they had no bottoms and the kids could still go get nappy changed and go to the toilet and things. They haven't sold like the bread and butter of my sheets and blankets did. But if I didn't go down that path first of the costumes, I wouldn't have this great, you know, Manchester building for childcare. So, You know, there's always going to be a journey and it also depends on whether you're a company doing a new product or a new brand or you're an individual wanting to, you know, design, you know, like, you know, got a new pen made with a pretty picture that a kid's going to set, you know, Mm. it depends on where you are in the journey for people to trust you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an interesting point as well because the the first product maybe that you go out with as you said, it may not be what be where you end up. Yeah, built on, and there's loads of stories. Of yeah, that and then way. with Keisha, we had yeah. started with a t-shirt, then a hat, and then a rash vest, to then a pajama. Mm. So the um, first two, yeah, first two struggled as well. Tell us a little bit about like what are the things in business that nobody tells you about? What are the things <laughs> that you think people make it, you know, make it look easy? But there's so much up that goes. I, well, I think. I think the stress of it all of, um, I guess, financially is the biggest one. It's like, okay, if I'm going to, like I just fought with my mum out there before about a colour pink and I was like, well, now you're making me feel sick in the stomach. What do you mean you don't like it? And she's like, well, I think it's horrendous. And I'm like, but do you think it's horrendous that you wouldn't? She goes, well, I wouldn't wear it. I'm like, but we wouldn't wear it anyway. And she's like, well, I'm just thinking of the dollars. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking about the dollars too. And then Violet's not, I'm thinking about the dollars. And I'm like, oh, and you walk away and go, oh, it's not going to work. So I think there's the self-doubt, you know, financially, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? I think it's a part of you might be making your kids lunch and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I need to be doing 500 things or you might just be worried about something at work. And same thing at nighttime when I'm lying down with Annabelle, our things launch at 8 o'clock and she'll say to me, mum, get off your phone, get off your phone. I'm like, we're having a sale now, we're having a sale now, I'm screenshotting this, I'm going to write a book one day, they're going to want to see the screenshot of how many people are online. 
So I think the distractions one. But then I also don't think people realise that, you know, the people are heavily involved. Each person here is a bit of if the whole the whole parcel. Like so Lena can't do what she can do unless like Violetta and I design the stuff and Violet makes sure that it doesn't run. And we can't do it unless Joe does it. You know, and I wouldn't have been able to do this unless Sophie posted and if she had the platform, you know, the boys downstairs are now working and it's 35 degrees yeah. in a warehouse. They've got two office doors opening, hoping the air conditioning can blow on them. You know, they ha- were unloading a container the other day in 35-degree heat. We've got a Scottish guy working downstairs. He's never never seen someone so red, you know, there's and dealing with people's moods. And I think I love work, right? So all of it to me because I've always been around my mum working and obviously now we work together and we have a team and my husband works here. So work's my life. But I also have to realise that that other people, it isn't their life. I obviously love that they come here, but, you know, that they have a life outside it. And I love it when they're so invested that they care as much as we do. You know, that's when you know you've got a really, really good team. But I think, you know, anything you do on your own is stressful. You and I have had that many conversations. You know, it is stressful. But I think you've got to, if you're the kind of person that that's your drug, like I thrive on that stress as well. And I think you once said to me, you know, being busy isn't a badge of honour. I think when you realise that be proud that you're busy, be proud that you've got something to do, that is so much better. Like same thing when they go like downstairs, I go, oh, my God, we've got so many orders to pack. I'm like, well, aren't you so lucky that we've got so many orders to pack? <laughs> you know, I think I think about being really positive and I think as being a leader that you need to be the one, even if you're tired that day or, you know, you're in a bad mood, you've got to be the one to be able to uplift your team mm. and keep them going. And, yeah, I just think you've got to love the journey of it. You've got to love the stress and the ride to love, like, the behind-the-scenes problems. And as I said, we have so many problems. Like, there's so I've got, um, oh, I can't tell you. So I've got lots of problems. Like, so many things that come in that, you know, might have a loose thread or might be in the wrong packaging or might have the wrong sizing or a colour might run that we can't even sell the stuff. There's so many things like that that when you think that you've seen it all, mm-hmm. you haven't. You know, and same thing with staff. You think that you've seen everything and you haven't. So, you know, I think you've got to enjoy that kind of shock value or that, you know, dealing with a crisis and that's the fun of it. You know, I think that's the behind the scenes stuff that you want to be hungry for to enjoy it. Otherwise, you're just going to be a stress head and miserable. How have you changed your approach recently? How do you think you've grown into some of those things that you just mentioned? Well... I think, yeah, I think before I used to take it all so personally. Mm-hmm. Like, so if someone didn't like a style, I take it personally. If someone was in a bad mood at work, I take it personally. If someone didn't know that, you know, the balance thing, like, you know, they didn't care about that, or I even get shitty if they don't clean a toaster, toaster downstairs, you know, or change the toilet roll. I think, I think literally age is the biggest thing because, and I used to would have hated that if someone said that a long time ago. But I also think I'm at a stage where I'm really happy with what I do. I think I always wanted to be so successful and be acknowledged to be successful. And I cared so much what people think, thought about me that I put so much pressure on myself. Whereas right now, I know that I'm committed to my journey. I know that I'm focused. I know that I write it down. I know I've got a vision board. I know what I want. And I'm okay with that. Because my mum said the other day, so what happens when it doesn't come true? Oh, I'm like, well, you just re-navigate. <laughs> <laughs> <Duh>. Thanks. <laughs> 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 I 
Why don't you do with your dreams not coming true? Let's just make sure you're okay. It's not how it works. I really want you to share some of your practices, like really practically, because, you know, it's it's not easy to keep yourself in the mindset to keep on going, you know, and that's for everyone day to day. And, you know, of course, again, been a pretty wild ride for a lot of people out there on a lot of different levels. But what are some of your like absolute go-to rituals or practices that keep you really focused on where you're headed? So I have massive dreams that sometimes are so huge that people think, oh, really? And there's days that I believe, some days I get so excited. I'm like, yep, I'm going to do that. That's so excited. But there's days that I think, oh, okay, I'm struggling. What do I really want? Like, you know, how do I really feel? And so those days I just take it back. So every day, I, every day I get to my office, I write. So I've got my diary here, always nearby. I write in here, like what I'm grateful for, what I want, and I am. So every day. So sometimes, like I just got to meet my little um, nephew, Oscar, who's been, because of isolation, I got to get to meet. I met him two days ago. So grateful for that. But it might be that I'm grateful that, and if I went to bed last night on time, you know, it might be as simple as I got a car park out the front of IGA. So that I just whatever I needed that day to get me through it. So there's I write what I'm grateful for. I write what I want. So like this morning when I sat down, I said, you know, I'm, you know, I want today's podcast to go really well. I don't want to sound like an idiot. So that's my thing. But I also wrote that some other big goals and things that I'm working on at the moment, which I can't share just yet. And then I also just write some simple things that I've got lunch tomorrow that I hope it goes well, you know, that everyone's happy. And then I write the I am, and I've been writing this for such a long time that I'm strong and resilient. I'm financially free and I'm happy, you know, and I sometimes can write seven of those things, but I really do in my head go, okay, you know, and I want and I want to feel that. So I commit to that every day when I write down. So everyone knows when I sit down at my desk, that's what I'm going to do first. Sometimes I get interrupted, but, you know, I'd say 90% of the time, that's what I do first and that's what I'm committed to. And it also gets me in a good mood. I go, okay, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm revved up. Then I also have in the back of my diary, I've got like a high and a low. So anything fab happening, I write it down, you know, just the one-liner and anything low. And like even this morning when I something great happened this morning and I wrote it down and I looked at a few of my highs before and, I, and you celebrate. You celebrate it when you re- remember it, you know, and it might just be a simple little thought, you know. And then, but also when you see the lows, you go, oh, I overcame that. Mm. You know, that really had me in a slump. That was really hard, you know, two months ago. And, but we're through it. And then in my front of my diary, I'd actually print out photos and write underneath it like where I'm at Mm. and so then at the end of the year I can go um you know coronavirus coronavirus but then I've got you know how many people were online or I've got you know a calisthenic zoom meeting and then I can go through that and go um wow that's where I've been but this Mm. ritual has developed over now six years so it's getting more and more intense more and more committed to it but because I've seen the results yeah. You know, I've actually seen so many things come true. And I think if you can't believe it yourself, who else is going to believe it? How can you go tell a team that, oh, my God, we're going to sell this, but this is going to happen, we're going to, you know, how can you actually really mean it if you're not committed to it yourself? So I feel like this is my commitment to myself, it's to my family, and it's to my team, and it's to my friends. It's actually for the person I am mm. that I need to just focus. And I think before I did it, I was so busy in my head 
you know, I can get in my head so easily. But when I do that, I focus and then I'm pretty much calmer about, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. And as mum said, what happens when it doesn't work? Well, you know what? You just come up with a new one. (laughs) So, but as I said, like I think I've told you, I think about 80% of what I've written down has come true. Mm. So it really is. And, you know, once upon a time, I didn't do it every day. Like, you know, it has become, because I used to get taught that, you know, you have to do it first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up. But I couldn't do that then. Yeah. I just need to go for my walk. I need to do these things. And so I think anything with these plans is you just need to make it work for you. And there's no book that you can read that's going to tell you how it's going to work. You just got to do it. what makes you feel good. Yeah. And yeah. that evolves as well. I love that point because I think that probably people give up on a lot of these yes. practices quite yes. early yes. because it's like, oh, well, I don't want to be part of the 5 a.m. club. I was just having this conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like lucky these days to be part of the 8am club. No, <laughs> no, but you, you know, and then, yeah, if it doesn't, if you can't do it that first thing in the morning, you know, as the yeah. book says, that's really prescriptive, then it's like, that's not going to work for me. But that's, yeah. you know, whether it's late at night or whatever it is, I really love what you've said there as well about it. You know, I do this for me and it drives me forward, but it's also my commitment to the team. Yeah, and the also responsibility of the leader. You have yes. to repeatedly get yourself in the mindset to be yeah. able and to be you know, genuinely true. be resilient. Yeah. When it's like, you know, when I have Joe come and say to me, you know, well, there's been a typhoon and we're not going to be able to sell anything for two weeks. I think, yeah. well, you know, and then I go, okay, what is it going to look like? How are we going to change it? You know, and a lot of the time I just come back to my book and go, you know, please, God, can you make that ship go that little bit faster? And I know it's not going to go any faster. I know there's a typhoon. It's held somewhere. But what if it made me feel better to calm down before I go there and tell them, girls, you know, that we, you know, change the plan. But I read um, Oprah Winfrey's book, I don't know how many years ago it is now, and she said that she wrote the three things she was grateful for before she went to bed. And I was mm. like, oh, that's different. Everyone said that you had to do it in the morning. I think that's when it changed my mindset of it. And But I started with being grateful. And then as I said, it's evolved, you know, it's mm-hmm. evolved to what I am committed to. And because I have seen the results, it has made me so committed to it because then I also think I'm going to jinx because I'm crazy. I'm like, oh, my God, if I don't write it down, it's not going to happen. It's going to happen, you know. So um, I think, yeah, making it work for yourself is so important. But as I said, mostly believing in yourself, not listening mm-hmm. to the negative energy from other people. Like pump yourself up because otherwise, how is anyone else going to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to give up? Has there been a moment where you're like, fuck, can I just get a job? Seriously. <laughs> so many times. But then I'm like, what give would us I one. do? Like what's one <laughs> one moment where you've actually been like, you know, no, I'm nearly done. Can you think of one? No, I've had, I've had lots of them. When we moved from our other place to here, we had a place in Collingwood and Target was changing. So they had changed the way things worked and just a lot of, was, there was so much change that I was unsure and I was like, and obviously stress with money and, um, you know, well, what does the future look like if that was, wasn't was happening? And obviously we had new brands launching. So it was just, it was a time of change. Mm. And I just thought to myself, you know, and I see what the roller coaster that my mum's been on with life. And I just thought to myself, you know, I should go get, you know, I should just go get a job and get paid. I'm like, but then but I don't know who would employ me. I don't really actually have me. So I did some, I did some fashion stuff way back then, but I'm like, but I'm so bossy. I couldn't have anyone else tell me what to do. I'm just going to have to make it work. And it's funny because mum and I were in the car this morning and we were just saying how grateful we were for some things. And 
that are loving what you do. Like we love, we love this roller coaster because I was like, oh, you know, some roller coasters. It's like there will be more. But I think as we've said, you kind of got to embrace it. Yeah. And you and I have always talked about, you know, something that seemed a drama six years ago. Now yeah. it's like, oh, don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. That'll be fine. Yeah. So I think you get stronger, you get yeah. more resilient. And um, I guess if you can take it on as a challenge, yeah. you're going to embrace it and come, you know, through it. But sometimes, as I said, like, you know, it might be when I'm awake at 2 o'clock in the morning and I think, oh, this is exhausting. You know, I exhaust myself the stress. Don't get me wrong that I think, you know, I could give up. But then something brilliant happens and you think, well, that's why. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's addicted to those massive highs yes. and even the massive yes. highs. I mean, the, the highs are so much higher because the lows are so much <laughs> deeper. Who is going to hire me, I reckon, has always been a bit of a driving question as well. It's like, I wonder if I'm actually employable now. <laughs> that is one of those things. It's like, well, that may be that lifeboat isn't really there. So. I think that's so true because I'm like, I'm such a funny worker. Like when I work, I can get more work done than most people in a short amount of time. But a lot of the time I fluff, you know, and I'm, and I wander and I, you know, dibble and dab in things. So if I had to, you know, be nine to five and on someone's books and I'd be like, you know, you can only have a half an hour lunch break and, you know, and I'm late to everything. And so I don't think I could be under someone's like watch the whole time. Mm. So, yeah. I really hope that that is something that profoundly changes in workplaces. Yes. Yes, that agree. we don't, you know, it's, I just, I'm feeling fascinated with that as a theme at the moment around different types of productivity and kind of that, yes. you know, the whole productivity yep. porn thing of you've got to do it this way, but it's just, it's so different for so many people and people's creative yep. process is different. And this kind of, you know, needing this constant output in this well, I've even found that certain rhythm is, um, I think, really problematic. I hope it changes, even in organisations, I hope. We're... Well, I've found that my husband has been away for 10 weeks and I've had to pick up my daughter from school. And usually, so in the afternoon is when I hit my straps. So mm. from 1.30 to when I leave at 5.30, I get my work done. So he was away yeah. for 10 weeks. Grand say I didn't get that much work done because I will in the morning I'd, I'd be just getting things done. It's like, oh my god, it's two forty. I need to leave. I need to yeah. leave. Why would they have school pick up at three thirty? Who made school pick up at three yeah. thirty? You know. And I totally agree. There's people who want to work at night and other people want to work in the morning. And as long as you get your work done, does it really matter when it is? Yeah. And I also agree. I think that I hope that these Zoom meeting things they keep on continuing so that people don't have to move around as much. Yeah. You know. That people can be, you know, wearing their pajama bottoms, Keisha, hopefully, <laughs> underneath their, you know, their desk and also be at home with their pets, be able to have dinner yeah. cooking, you know, whilst you're um, doing other things so that life isn't so stressful. Yeah. You know, I think that's, I think yeah. that will be a huge part on people's mental health, like, you know, improving that. Yeah, completely agree. That's sort of going one place for an hour. It's pretty nuts. Even the 60-minute meeting is another thing that's really crazy. Yes. You know, just like, yeah. that, oh, we're just going to block it for an hour. Why? Yeah, Maybe absolutely. Really an hour. What have you changed your mind on recently? I think my mindset has changed a lot. I think I've had a second baby. Um, so I think finding, you know, people say balance, but I think I've now worked out it's okay if I'm not here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to delegate. It's okay to um, look after me. Mm. You know, for once upon a time I um, was so worried about everyone else and everything else that I got shingles earlier this year 
And obviously COVID didn't help the whole thing. So I got really, really stressed. And I think, you know, my doctor said to me, you just need to look after you. You need to go for your walk. You need to do these things. And otherwise you're not going to be good to anyone. And it made me realise that I didn't realise how stressed I was about, you know, as I said, COVID, if the ships were going to come or if people were doing their work or if we come to the office or, you know, homeschooling was so hard or I'm not spending time with Grace. And it's like, oh, my God, this all so exhausting. Mm. And instead of going, you know what, this is my life. This is what I do. You know what? My kid's going to love me whether I'm home every day or not. Mm. You know, work's going to survive. We will get a container. It may not be on time, but we will get them, you know. Mm. Um, And also uh, celebrating the moments of, okay, this worked, this worked. And, yeah, not being, I've changed my mind on me Mm. and that's been a massive change. Yeah. Lift some of that pressure. So you should. So you should. Oh, it's been so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing the amazing Keisha story with us, Leah. I have no a feeling problem. this might be part one, part one of <laughs> a few the of story. these bodies as you grow. Yes. Tell us what, leave us with a thought of what, what should we be looking out for? What's going to come from you in the future that you're really excited about? Is there anything well, you can share with us? So I have a new brand launching with a new influencer in March this year. So mm. um, you've heard it here. And that's going to be super duper exciting and it's fresh, it's new. And then I hope to be launching something um, even more exciting or no, no, not even more exciting, as exciting um, later in the year too. So, and I think that's where I get most excited when I take an idea and, you know, get some little pedal and, you know, all that part of the innovation of the excitement of the testing and the, um, that journey is literally what like lights me up. Yeah. So I've got some little projects in the pipe work, which I'm very excited about. All right, awesome. We can't wait to see them either. I'm sure they're going to be absolutely amazing. No doubt this is the beginning of the story for you as well, Leah. So thank you. This has just been so fun, much. fun, fun. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.